Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. So I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Vic McLennan. Vic is passionate about many things, growing great companies, raising digital literacy, growing New Zealand's economy and equality for women. Her day jobs include managing director of data and information specialist Optimal BI, plus investing in and advising a range of great Kiwi startups as they grow. Vic's community contributions include being co-chair of NZ Rise, a community of New Zealand-owned digital and technology companies, chair of the Digital Skills Forum, a cross-government and industry initiative focusing on the future of work, and chair of Digital Future Aotearoa, a fabulous charity established to raise the digital capability of all New Zealanders. Vic is also chair of the Ministerial Advisory Group on Digital Inclusion and Digital Economy. I'm really looking forward to hearing more today. Kia ora Vic and thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora Anna and thank you for inviting me along. Ah, you're welcome. So I'd love to start a little way back. And when you were growing up, what careers were you thinking about or even dreaming of? Yeah, so really interesting question, that one. And it reminded me of a couple of a couple of careers. I wanted to be a teacher for the longest time. I went to quite a few primary schools because my parents moved around a bit until we really settled. And, and I thought I wanted to be a teacher because I obviously experienced some fabulous teachers at primary school. But then when I went to secondary school, I wanted to be an architect. And just love the idea of being an architect. But there's a bit of a story of why I'm not an architect. And that is because I had to take physics. And I went to Nelson College for Girls that didn't offer a couple of um, subjects that I wanted to take. One was physics and the other was engineering. And so I lobbied my school to let me take those subjects at Nelson College. So I got to go to the boys' school as a tiny cohort. I think there were six of us in physics and two in engineering. Um, and I failed sixth form physics. And that was the end of my being an architect, really. And I'm sure I failed sixth form physics because I went to a boys' college and the boys were quite distracting, to be fair. Yeah. But also, well, equally, you may have failed physics, but you probably made a big difference to the school in terms of considering other options and other ways for girls to learn or to offer a broader range of subjects. And then tell me about your first jobs. What did you learn from some of those? So I, when I was young, we moved to Nelson and my parents bought a fast food business. They wanted to be self-employed. And so my first jobs were really working in that fast food business. And then I worked in a dairy behind a counter and then I progressed to working in the pub across the road from us, cleaning the bathrooms the next day. And I learned a lot about the messiness of adults and alcohol as a teenager. But the key thing I really learned from those first jobs were, and I really learned it from my parents before that, was around work ethic and the needing to turn up to a job and do the job that's in front of you, no matter how messy or grubby or horrible it was. And the reward being money that I could go and spend on clothes. And that was the most important thing as a teenager. So I think my first jobs were I was about 12 or 13 when I first started really having a lot of part-time jobs and that really got me through my teenage years and provided me with plenty of toys. 
Yes, and also, I guess, some financial independence too for yourself, which is always good. Yeah, definitely. So I had really young parents. They had me when they were teenagers, and I'm the oldest of four children, and my parents are still together, which is just amazing when you think about they. You know, mum had me when she was um, in the fifth form. And so money was really tight in my childhood for a long time. So it was great to have that flexibility. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And then if I understand correctly, rather receive than being an architect, because physics, unfortunately, put paid to that, but you actually moved into technology. So what prompted you to even have that interest in that field? I had no interest. I fell into this. So I stayed in Nelson when I finished secondary school and went to the local polytechnic and studied accountancy and finance. And I got a part-time job there working for a local business. Initially, I was doing things like cleaning equipment and uh, replacing blades on, on meat processing machines and things. And then I started working for them part-time initially and then full-time installing what were the first FPOS machines in Aotearoa. And I drove around the top half of the South Island for a couple of years with a bootload of FPOS machines going to pubs. There were about 20 on the West Coast and and then across to Kaikoura and up through Marlborough and back to Nelson, replacing FPOS machines and, and learning how to program those. And that was how I fell into technology. So I had no real interest in tech and didn't even know there were careers before I started doing that. And that's basically the world that I've been in ever since. Mm, So you said you sort of fell into it, but obviously you stayed in it. What has it been then about the world of tech that has kept you there? I think, so I've kind of, I've really had three careers in my life and the the first chapter of that career was being a, a very technical technologist and doing really geeky, geeky things and learning how to program things at a really, really low level. And I was just so attracted to how academically and how stimulating it was and there was so much to learn and it was so different and it really challenged me. And through that first chapter of being a technician, for want of a better word, or a software engineer as, as the language is now, I, I changed and evolved the technologies I was working with on a regular basis to get a new challenge. So definitely that kept me really engaged in the early part of my career. I then evolved into management and then now much more in governance and philanthropy, as you described in my bio. And now I just see technology as this massive enabler for everyone, for the future of work, for helping change some of the socioeconomic dichotomies that we have in this country. Technology's got a role to play in that. So so that's why I'm still involved in that kind of context. Yeah, wonderful. And I like the way you talked about it as different chapters in your life, because I think sometimes we think of careers as a bit linear, but often they have certain phases as we go through our lives. Yeah, and I can, when I look back now, I can see them quite clearly as I changed phases. So I often speak to groups of women and one of the things that I talked about is for the first 10 years of my career in technology, I didn't work with another woman. And I found that really quite challenging and confronting and it had to make me really robust in a very different way than I possibly would have been if I'd worked with women. And I absolutely love some of the initiatives I'm involved with now. We're working with fabulous, collaborative, supportive um, wahine in Aotearoa. They're just, you know, some amazing women out there. And 
And so for me, one of the first steps into the next chapter of my life being in management was to become a team leader and to be able to actually employ other women into my team and have other women that I worked with. So that was really, really important for me. And we're such a small percentage of the digital technology industry, both then in the 90s and now, that that was really important. So I remember that kind of stage of evolution in my career quite clearly. Mm. And this is slightly diverging away from your own career, but I'd be interested from you, what do you feel is going to help get more girls and women into digital, into technology? Yeah, so it's a really challenging one. And Digital Future Aotearoa, the charity that I chair, that's a lot of our focus is around how do we open the minds to not only girls, but also Māori and Pacifica to the possibilities of careers in digital technology. And if you look at a movie like um, Frozen as an example that I that I often use, the, the blend of digital technology with creative sector there is, is really easy to describe to young girls that there are digital technology roles where people are taking the drawings that other people have done and turn, turning them into the characters that really come to life. And, and I, I think that digital technology has had such a bad rap as being this kind of smelly boys in a back room, really technical engineering stuff, which I found fantastically challenging. And yet many, many girls and women aren't attracted to that. They're more attracted to jobs where they're interacting with people, where they're much more creative. And there are so many roles in our industry for girls and women, but the real challenge is how do we open their minds to um, those possibilities? And we haven't cracked it yet. I've been I've been trying to crack it for the last ten years and haven't quite found the the magic secret sauce. I'm not sure that anybody has anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily even just here in Aotearoa that we're struggling with it. But I like the way you talk about it as almost reframing what you're talking about when you're talking about technology and talking about it as creative and innovative and people focused, then that that in itself, I'm sure, would only help. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess digital technology generally, we should be a much larger part of the gross domestic product from an export perspective now than we are economically for the country. And and when we look at the majority of exports from, from Aotearoa, their primary industries, and there is this fantastic TV show on at 7 o'clock, I think, on the Sunday night called Country Calendar that's been going for 35 or 40 years that showcases primary industries. And I think that we as a sector, digital technology sector, really needs to move into being able to showcase what we're doing here because we are a big part of the film sector. We're a big part of the gaming sector. There are some amazing creative roles and organisations out there, but we haven't quite been able to get into the hearts and minds of, of the mainstream population in the same way as the agriculture sector has. If you think about those first few years of your career, as you said, when you were very much on the technical side of things, what were the highlights, but also the challenges of that period of time in your career? I think one of the highlights was going on my OE, as many Kiwis do when you're young and 20 and you get on a plane and you go to the other side of the world and working in London with some amazing mentors, some fabulous men who were just the epitome of 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 your classic technology geek, often with many with ponytails. They taught me how to drink copious amounts of black coffee and and the and quite shocking, sorry, it's not quite a highlight, but the shocking part of moving into a working in an office with all of these chain smoking black coffee drinking men was we had smoke free workplaces in Aotearoa already by then. And so I had to go into this environment where people were smoking around me. But real highlight working with 
people who really, really pushed me and really accepted that I was capable. And I think that that's women often go through imposter syndrome. And I certainly struggled with accepting that I was capable. And then late, a few years later, I worked with another group of men here in Wellington who also really accepted how capable I was and were really supportive. And I never had to kind of question myself up against these really talented men in the workplace. So working with some really supportive people has been really great for me highlights wise. Yeah, wonderful. And I think it makes such a difference to have people who will support, help you to learn, help you develop, help you believe in yourself as well. It makes a huge amount of difference. And what was the path then to you then creating your own business? Yeah, so I had a small dalliance and working for a small company who basically employed me to talk to customers. So a bunch of of very introverted, fabulous men who technically were really specialists at what they do, but didn't really have a very good level of engagement with their customers. And this was in the 90s and I just had babies. So I was a new mum and I'd gone back into the workplace after a very tiny break. And so that was when I sort of started to discover that there were other roles that you could engage with people. And then pretty quickly from there became a team leader working for that organisation and got to employ another woman, as I said, and then management in that organisation. And then I moved through a progression of management roles. And I realised quite quickly that I really enjoy the strategy of of running a business or a business unit. I was a GM for a large government agency for a time and I enjoyed the the ownership of the strategy of that that particular function inside that organisation. And one of my friends just said to me one day, oh, you've always really wanted to own a BI company, haven't you? And why don't we start one up? And there we were. So <laughs> it all kind of happened quite quite seamlessly, I guess. And I've never looked back. And so we started Optimal BI over 11 years ago now. And if you look me up on the company's office, you'll see I have many, or on LinkedIn, you'll see I have many other businesses that I'm now a shareholder and director of. And that's kind of the space that I've found that I belong and I've matured into. So yeah, interesting journey there. Yeah, really interesting journey. And you say it was fairly seamless, but I can't imagine it was necessarily easy at the same time starting your own business. What was your experience of the first few years of of that period? Yeah, so that was really challenging. So having grown up with parents who owned their own businesses, they had the takeaway business and they they had other businesses over the years. I I really saw how challenging being um, self-employed was from from an early stage in life. So I knew the challenges were going to be there. But it was a challenging time. It was particularly challenging as a woman as well. So I found pretty quickly that particularly in digital technology, there are hardly other any other women who are business owners. So finding a cohort of women was was quite a challenge. So what I ended up doing, because I'm I'm a a person who likes to start things. Quite a few years ago, probably about eight years ago, I started a group which we called ourselves Bootstrapping Wellington Women and and just found a group of women that owned businesses, not in the digital technology space. So we had a jeweler and we had a person with security business and quite diversely different um, businesses. And we'd get together once every two months with lots of wine and talk about our challenges as business owners and as women who are business owners. And And that was a great support network for a period of time for me. Really, really enjoyed that. I think it's so important. And I think being able to talk with other women and just in that very open, sometimes that, ah, help me kind of a way, or I just, uh, I'm struggling with this, but that you maybe wouldn't want to admit in a wider forum, but in 
a very safe, supportive space around other women, I think can make a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. And women, we're so collaborative and supportive as well. And so that network of women and other women that I've met are still people that I'll crowdsource things with and they'll, and I'm part of a network where other women will crowdsource things, just ideas or have you I've had to overcome this challenge before and will either jump on a Zoom or send emails. And women are really collaborative and really supportive in a way that I haven't seen as many men. There are some fabulous men in business, but quite as many men who are that supportive of each other. Yeah, and it's actually so very efficient because <laughs> rather than making the same mistakes that somebody else has made, you're learning and hopefully not replicating some of those. So I can imagine that was helpful too. And you mentioned then, Vic, that you had been an investor, director, getting involved in many startups. What is it about being involved at that stage or about helping to create and grow a business that you really enjoy? I think it's helping shape the possibilities and to exactly the point that you made, I really I'm really committed to the idea that if if you can work with someone who's already walked in your shoes, then you don't need to fall down the same rabbit holes or cul-de-sacs or, or whatever your analogy you want to use is and that you can learn from each other. And so I've just found that I have a natural epiphany to working with early stage companies and um, supporting them and and kind of their early growth and getting on to the next rung of of their their growth ladder so and also there's some really interesting technology things there and I'm still really I'm still really fascinated by tech and challenged by tech and learning about new technology things so it's a positive outcome for me as well as the support that I can provide to others. Yeah, wonderful. And I'm sure your own experience and experience then with all the different businesses will be hugely helpful as you share that. And then more recently, you said that kind of third chapter of your career has been into governance and into philanthropy. What was it that started you down that path? Yeah, so actually, I can't really say what the catalyst with that was, but I won an award a few years ago. And I was literally on the dance floor from having won that award. And someone came up to me and said, I really, really like you to get involved with my charity. And we really need someone like you to help kind of shape us and drive us forward. And so that was the first, and I, of course, said yes. I think I'd had a couple of cocktails at that stage and the <laughs> euphoria of having just won this award and this complete stranger asking me to get involved with their charity. So that was the, the first kind of activity that I got involved with. And on that philanthropic side, and started to donate some of my time. And now I donate 50% of my time to a range of different things, but... I've honed them into much more in the digital equity space and working with Māori and Pacifica groups to try and, again, offer opportunities for access to technology and access to skills and capability in the in the digital space. There are so many possibilities and Aotearoa is such a great country and everyone here deserves the right to reach their potential and so I see that digital technology and education and digital technology is a really strong way to help people reach their potential because the salaries in our industry are double that or the mean, median salary in our industry is double that of the median um, salary in Aotearoa so that alone just being able to bring more people into the industry or jobs that have digital technology elements to them to increase their earning potential is really powerful. 
Yeah, it really is. And I think even if you start right down at the early level, I certainly noticed during COVID last year, of course, the amount of people who didn't have access, say, to the internet to be able to contribute to online learning. And that's at a very early stage in terms of access to those tools, the technology, and then that perhaps inequity that then continues on, that may mean that somebody doesn't consider a career in technology. How do you start to shift that? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, COVID was great in some ways. It was terrible in other ways, but it was great for really shining that light on that stage and really making people aware of the digital divide that we have in Aotearoa. So during COVID, a couple of fabulous initiatives that I've been involved with started. One was called RAD, Recycle a Device, which has really got legs and going now. And that's about taking unused devices from corporates Secondary school students, an amazing team at um, Aotearoa College in Porirua came up with the concept. They then repurpose those devices and distribute them to whānau and members of their community. And we've got secondary schools all over the country now that the Aotearoa College team has um, trained. And we've got corporates and, and government organisations donating devices that they're repurposing and they're being distributed. So that came directly as a result of COVID and students just not having laptops in their hands, essentially, to be able to, to do the work. So that's been a great initiative. Yeah, what a wonderful initiative. I mean, I have three kids myself and I see how much of their work is now done on a laptop. So I can imagine having access to that device. Absolutely would help to bridge that divide. It did struck me when I kind of was looking through all the different hats that you wear or all the different businesses, NGOs, governance roles that you were involved in. I thought, oh, that's a full load. How do you find balance between, I guess, your career and your broader life? Yeah, so it's a really interesting thing to ask. So I also had babies young, as my daughter points out. I didn't master birth control either at an early age. And <laughs> so I'm quite lucky that my children are now in their late 20s and grown up and independent and, and, and fabulous people. And it, and it meant that in my 40s, when my siblings, for example, have got young children at home and, and many of my peers in that age group were still dealing with kids and often as their children moving into teenagers, that was when mine was starting to move off and I was able to to really look around and, and find other things to get involved with. So that's been a positive thing. And a very deliberate move, my partner and I moved from living in the city to living up the Kapiti Coast, which is 65 kilometres away from Wellington. And when we lived in the city, we'd literally get in the car in the garage, drive to the office that we park in um, and go to work and then get back in the car and drive home. And that would be maybe 10 minutes home. And then I'd I'd have that 10 minutes break and I'd often be back on my laptop. Now that we live in the Kapiti Coast, we get the train, and when I get on the train at the end of the day, I stop working. So it's a complete break for an hour being on the train. And then when we get home in the summer, we've we've bought a large um, piece of land and we have millions of flaxes to plant yet. And we've already planted hundreds. And so we just get out on the property. So that's really forced a deliberate change in my life. And that's, um, I guess, been, been very deliberate and it's really paid off. But I guess the other thing to say, and I say this to a lot of people, this whole notion of work-life balance is really important, but it's really important to strike what's right for you. And 
there have been times in my career when I've been really stressed and working too many hours and it's changed my personality and it's made me really grumpy and I haven't been a fun person to be around and then definitely I'm not getting the work-life balance then. But in the last 10 years since I've made these changes to owning my own business and a lot more involved in philanthropy, I, I don't... I don't have those kind of moments of knowing that I'm overloaded or that I'm stressed. So it, the balance is obviously working. So just just watch yourself and see what works for you. I think it's really important. I think that's great advice because I think we all have those little warning signs that start popping up when when things are feeling out of balance. And, and we don't always listen to them. I certainly know I don't always listen to mine, but actually recognising those, those early signs in, in what feels right for you to bring that back in balance again. Yeah, good advice. And you've talked, Vic, about, I guess, a few of the challenges that you might have faced along the way. What, what have been your, your toughest career challenges that you've faced? So I think my toughest one that always springs to mind was a pay equity one when I learned when I was quite young. I was in my mid-20s and I'd, I'd just returned to work after having a baby and I worked with a group of men and I learned that I, who were doing exactly the same job as me and I learned that I earned a lot less than them. And I went to my manager at the time who just gave me, and this is in the mid-90s, who just gave me some absolute bullshit, excuse my language, excuses for why men were earning more than than I was, and which included my career break. So I, I was being punished for my relatively short career break, which was less than a year. And, and so I just went, I escalated that and then I went to the HR manager who was a woman and she just absolutely wouldn't have a bar of it and that was when I learned that HR is really just there to protect the company, it's not there for the staff at all and and she just wouldn't listen to me and then I confronted the owner of the business so I was very, I feel that I was very brave and I went through this process and so he actually said he'd, he'd take a, an audience with me, for want of a better word. I confronted him in corridor and I brought my male colleagues with me to the meeting and they laid it out and told him basically that we had all had the same experience. We had the same qualifications, there were technical qualifications, some very similar kind of years in the industry. Some of them had been less and they told him what they earned versus what I was earning and he resolved my pay equity immediately. Interestingly, all of us had left that company within a year because it left a really sour taste for all of us. So not only for me, but also for the men that I was in a team with. And that was really one of the biggest challenges. And my my key takeouts from that, you've just got to be brave and also be brave enough to talk to your colleagues when you're having a challenge in the workplace because they'll be more supportive than you realise they might be. As an employer now, of course, I think it's it's just so important for me as a, an employer to never allow these kind of situations to occur and that company should never have allowed that to happen. But yeah, that's that's being brave was my biggest lesson from that. Definitely being brave. There was also for me in there the power of having other allies around you, and in this case, happened to be male allies who were also there supporting your case. And that's, you know, if we're trying to seek any kind of change, to not necessarily try to do it alone, to try and look for who else might be able to, to support you along the way. Yeah, definitely. And that's that's really relevant, you know, today for everything that everyone does. So I think that of not feeling like you're battling alone, that you've all, you can always find some connections and some networks so I can often I'll be the only woman on a board with men who are 
far more experienced than me and I still get a little bit of that sense of, you know, you're the token woman on this board, but I've found other women who are on boards where they're the only woman on a board and are having similar experiences so I can reach out to them and I have the power of that support network as well. So so it's really that there's no reason to ever feel like you're alone no matter what scenario you're in. You can always find people who will be supportive of you in some way, shape or form. You can. And you've talked, Vic, about some of the, I guess, the challenges you may have faced as a woman along the way, whether it was pay inequity or whether it's maybe on a board being sort of treated as the token woman. Are there any other particular obstacles that you might have faced as a, as a woman in your career? Yeah, there's definitely, um, well, the, the very early on one, actually, before I took the full-time job with the um, company that I took way back when I was at Polytech, I interviewed for a cadetship at the post office and I was told at the interview that I wouldn't get the job because I was a young woman and that I would go and have babies and leave. And definitely I had a sense at every stage early on when my children were young that that there's that obstacle around that career break that women take. And and one of the things that, that I've spend a lot of time trying to influence other business owners and, and managers of large global businesses and people that I interact with in those kind of circles is around having true flexibility for your workplace. So working mothers need true flexibility. If their child falls off a playground, they need to drop everything and go home. They also need to have the confidence in the certainty that if they work part-time like between the hours of nine and three or Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, that their employer will um, respect that and they won't book a team meeting on a Wednesday or at five o'clock um, after they've finished working. That employers need to really embrace flexibility in a different way. And and I, and I think for me that kind of those substantive years of being a really, really busy working young mother, that did create quite a few hurdles in having employers who just didn't really respect that, even though they say they do and they kind of put it on paper, but their behaviour was always quite different. Mm, mm, and I think that's that's the experience of many working mums and increasingly now working dads as well, working parents. And I think creating that more true flexibility or recognition that life doesn't stop when you come to work has got to be good for all genders. Yeah, definitely. And so, so twenty odd years ago, when um, when I went back to work, and as I said, I had a short career break. My Mike, the father of my children, had been made redundant, which was devastating for us, you know, small children. But we just decided to reverse roles, so he stayed home, and that was so unusual back then. And living in Kandala in Wellington, he was the only dad, and there were mums and there were nannies, and there was him as the only dad who was turning up for school, pick up and drop off. And so the school got pretty reliant on him. He went on every school camp and did every sports day and every kind of um, physical activity they could rope him into. But he was he was a real trailblazer then because there, were, there, there weren't as many stay-at-home dads, whereas now that's become a much more accepted norm. And I think that's just amazing that parental leave and some of my stuff, males and females taking parental leave, that they can share that. And, and employers are, are becoming a lot more understanding and supportive of different types of parental leave as well. And this Labor government is certainly forcing that issue. Yeah, yeah, which is great. It's only, for me, in my view, only can be a good thing. And we talked a little bit about some of the tough stuff, but as you look back on your career to date, what are some of your proudest career moments? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. You had that on the in the list of potential questions, and I've I've re- really struggled with that a little bit. I think um, I guess my proudest moments tend to be very people related, and when when other people have when I've seen other people achieve their kind of their dreams and their outcomes and I can see a role that I've held in supporting them to do that and and I guess other proud moments were when I I won a technology a few technology awards some years ago and there are always proud moments when you win awards when I was appointed to the ministerial advisory group on digital economy and digital inclusion when the Labor government was elected and the ministerial advisory work that I've been doing that's also I've been really proud to be able to shape some of the policy that, that we're talking about that the Labour government has been implementing. Um, and not that that's a reflection on my politics, it's just been a fabulous opportunity to kind of get more involved in that and closer to that mahi from that political perspective. Yeah, wonderful series of proud moments and a nice variety as well in terms of some more personal impact on people alongside some recognition for your wonderful work and then more latterly, I guess, seeing that broader impact that whether it's perhaps even policy shifts that that are going to make a broader difference for a larger number of people. Wonderful. And you talked about those chapters of your life. Where do you see your career heading now in the future? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So one of the things that I started a couple of years ago with Susie Ferguson was a podcast actually called Brazen. And that's something that I'm really going to throw, Susie and I are going to throw ourselves into in, in the coming months. So we really want to create a mechanism for showcasing women's lives from different walks of life and different experiences, I think complements what you're doing incredibly well. So I'm sure we'll invite you to come and talk to us one day. And we want we want to showcase some of the really tough stories and like stillbirth and loss of loss of a child or tough stories around ageism and other and challenges Indigenous women face. And so we want to give women some some of the who have had some tougher experiences of life, in life opportunities to, to share those stories so that other women who are going through the same tough challenges can see that that there are, are people who are experiencing the same thing. I'm definitely quite enjoying my governance career, so I will probably continue to be on some boards. I'm ending my any of my my government advisory kind of thing. So I think I'm stepping away from that chapter. I've had a bit of a go with the government treacle. I, I know that I can have much more impact either with businesses or with, with charities and NGOs. So I'll, I'll step away from that chapter. And yeah, I'm I'm starting to, to go through all of those those middle-aged women things of, of experiencing feeling like you're invisible at times and discovering the wonders of menopause and having conversations with women. I spoke at the Global Women's Summit a couple of weeks ago and standing up on the stage with the hot lights on to this big hall full of women. And I made a comment in the middle of that being a middle-aged menopausal woman standing here under these heated lights and the whole room just started laughing. (laughs) And being able to sort of embrace being a woman of a certain age, I think that's, that's certainly going to be part of my career going forward as well. And I think um, increasingly that just having these other women talking about that experience and to have menopause not something that's hidden away or something that doesn't happen, just talk about it quite openly, has got to be a, a good thing. But even more broadly, the, the podcast, I like the way you talked about Brazen, 
is actually let's talk about the tough stuff. Let's talk about the challenges that people have because we all have tough stuff. A lot, some of it is a lot tougher than others. But even knowing that others have been through things and have got out through the other side is is enormously useful and reassuring to to hear. Yeah, and I think the other thing to add to that about my next chapter of my career is as I hit 50, I just felt like I'm really hitting my stride and I've spoken to other women of similar age and they feel the same because we've we've come out of the malaise of, of being working mums and and dealing with that kind of juggling your life in a different way. We've we're often a lot more considered and and less potentially fiery than I was 20 years ago and much more community minded and focused on broader outcomes and all of my time now I'm I'm learning as much as I can about how to honour te tiriti and, and the fabric of Aotearoa and the opportunities there are for change and so I feel that for women as we go into our 50s we've got so much so much more to offer in so many different contexts in different ways. And so I think that's going to be a really important thing for me in this next chapter of my career as well. And I think that's a great message, particularly to share for, say, women in their 20s and 30s who either might be in a hurry to try and get lots of things done or maybe struggling a bit through that juggle of, of navigating and work and family. But to hear that actually, you know, to kind of hit your straps in your 50s, I think that's a great message, uh, certainly for me in my 40s, that's a great message for me to hear as well. Yeah, I, I I think it's really important to acknowledge some of and embrace some of these changes that we go through as we evolve and get wiser as we get older. Yeah, I hope I'm hoping I'm getting wiser. I'm not always <laughs> sure, but anyway, I can hope. If I could have one last question, what what career advice would you have for other women? So I've said um a lot during this podcast. I now realise I. Think the things I would say to women is there is no such thing as a glass ceiling, but there are barriers. So acknowledge those barriers and find ways to push through them. But there really is no such thing as a glass ceiling because we can all see women who have, who have, who have achieved their goals. To the point that I made earlier, I think it's really important to have a really good cohort of people who support you at whatever age and stage you are in your career, and that age and stage will change. Another piece of advice I have is that your your personal partner in life may not be the best person to give you career advice and or, or business advice. It's something I've observed in some women who are who are very heavily influenced by their life partner who works in a totally different field, who doesn't necessarily have the context or experience. And find a way to navigate your way to other women who can support you and give you advice. I wish I'd had uh, mentors earlier. I really, really do. I only kind of gravitated to having mentors as I've moved into this um, business ownership and governance chapter of my life. And I wished I'd had mentors earlier. That said, it's really hard to find fabulous women um, who have the time and capacity to mentor all of the wonderful women out there. So, so it might take you a wee while to find someone, but try and find mentors or or a group of um, people who can help you to reach your, your aspirations. And you just stick with it. If you're determined to do something, just stick with it. Don't give up. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful wealth of advice there. And the 
the one, I love them all, but the one that I wanted to pull out was that don't necessarily look for advice from your life partner, your personal partner in terms of a business and career. I agree. I've seen a lot of women do that and see perhaps their dreams or thoughts or ideas can be a bit squashed because the other person just doesn't get it or wants to somehow keep that person in the the certain maybe box and absolutely looking for people who, who have a valuable feedback to give that maybe your customer or your industry, that that's a much better place to look for for feedback sometimes than at home. Yeah, great, great point. Vic, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you and to hear all the way through from that journey of, well, they're not doing physics at my school, so I'm going to go and create an opportunity, right through to actually those different chapters of your life and then seeing how those might unfold in the future and how you're now hitting your straps in your career. It's been fantastic to hear. So thank you for, for your time and for sharing the story today. Thank you. Ka Anna. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.